Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse number 10 through 11. Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, when you look at verse number 11, he says this phrase. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. What's he saying there? that you may attain? Is Paul saying he's not certain of being resurrected? Is he contradicting himself now about the resurrection? I mean, he just spent a lot of time talking about it, saying that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. We've already seen that Paul was a person who had been changed by the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ. But now here in verse number 11, it almost sounds like he's saying that I may attain, like almost as if he's not going to be resurrected. Does he believe he's going to be resurrected? Well, certainly Paul believed in the resurrection. He wrote a thesis on Christ rising from the dead and the details of what will happen to those who have died in Christ. Uh, Listen to what he says here in 1 Corinthians uh, 15. This is kind of his his whole treaty here about the resurrection. And he says this, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse number 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We were even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. And those who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. So when Paul here describes the resurrection and he tells us, he says he believes that Christ resurrected from the dead. He goes on later to say in verses uh, 35, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, but someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be put 
uh, but a bare kernel perhaps of wheat or of some other grain, but God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there's one kind of humans, another of animals, another of birds, another of fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for stars differ from star and glory. So it is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. So Paul is very, very persuaded about the resurrection, that he believes that people will be resurrected. He knows that. He knows that they are going to be resurrected. So why does he say here in verse 11 that I may attain? The resurrection, almost as if he doesn't know if that's really going to happen. Sounds like he's kind of uncertain about it, doesn't it? No, he's very certain about being resurrected and the future resurrection of immortality of all those who know Christ to life everlasting. So what does he mean by what he is saying here? This verse can seem quite difficult to grasp what Paul was meaning by it. In order to define and understand what Paul is saying here and what scripture teaches, we need to define our terms in matters of what the resurrection means and it is for the believer. So to do so, I'm going to give you a biblical definition of the resurrection, but then I would like to give you two aspects of the resurrection. So first of all, what is resurrection? In this book here, in the book of Philippians, Paul actually only uses the word resurrection two times. First, it's found here in verse number 10, and it's also found here in verse number 11. The most that Paul talks about the resurrection is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'd really encourage you to do a thorough study of 1 Corinthians 15 about what the resurrection is. But the word resurrection, as we find here in verse number 10 and other places Paul uses, is the word that means to stand up, to be raised from the dead or to rise again. He says there's going to be a standing up of the bodies. There's going to be a physical resurrection when the graves are open and literally the bodies of the dead are going to rise. That's going to happen. And Paul believed that. And so he says that this resurrection is true of every believer in Jesus, and every believer will be resurrected from the dead to new life. The perishable will become imperishable. That which was sown in dishonor will be raised in honor. It's a reality. 
It's also true of those who do not know Christ. All of the dead bodies will be resurrected to face judgment and eternal fire from the wrath of God is what we find being taught in the book of Revelation as uh, John writes in Revelation chapter number 20. He says this about the future resurrection of those who do not know Christ. He says in Revelation 20 verse number uh, 12, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, every one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire fire. So for those who do not know Christ, the Bible is very clear and it tells us that the wrath of God is abiding on you already. And the only thing that you have to look forward to is a resurrection to be judged by God. But there's great news in all of that because Jesus Christ took your judgment He took your place on the cross. He was crucified for your sins so that you would not face a future judgment by the Lord. And so Jesus, we find that he took what we deserved on the cross. He was crucified. He died. He paid the penalty for what we rightly deserve, which is death. For the wages of sin is what? But Jesus took that, and Jesus paid for our penalty. Jesus became a curse for you and for me. He who knew no sin became sin so that we could be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus laid in a tomb for three days, but he resurrected with power and glory and is seated at the Father's right hand. And he will justify all those who by faith, who come to him and believe in him, not trusting in themselves, not trusting in church, not trusting in religion, not trusting in works, not trusting in baptism or catechism or communion. It's by faith and faith alone that people are transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. We are resurrected from death to life. And that is the only way possible that we could ever escape a future judgment because Jesus took our judgment for us. And so by faith alone, we believe in Christ for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so I want you to be prepared for the resurrection And you have to know the resurrected Christ and his power of his resurrection to take part of the resurrection of salvation. To know that you're gonna be resurrected to new life and not be resurrected to face judgment. And so for the believer in Christ, the resurrection is an opportunity for great joy because we will be changed and transformed Salvation will finally have its complete and final work. 
At that moment, from what we read in scripture, salvation will be complete and final. Right now, as we are still alive and remain. We are going through a sanctification process. God is burning off the dross. He is refining us. He's making us more and more like Christ. And this is what Paul was talking about as we looked at the couple weeks ago about experiencing the power of his resurrection, sharing in his sufferings. We're becoming like him in his death. That's the growth process. And this is something that every believer in Christ can can look forward to as our salvation will be fully complete. This is what we refer to as glorification. We will be saved not only from our sins, not only saved from the power of sin, but ultimately and finally, we will ultimately be saved from the very presence of sin. No more desire to sin and temptation We will be saved from that. And this is something that we should be looking forward to. And so God is doing work in all of us. Remember what Paul said in Philippians 1.6? He said, he who began a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There is going to be a culmination of all this working that God is doing in our lives. And that culmination is going to happen at the resurrection of the dead. And we will be changed. And that work will be complete. We will be like him, totally apart from sin, sharing in his glory throughout eternity. Let me give you a few verses on this. Turn with me over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 8. Romans 8 talks about our growth and the redemption that we will experience in the resurrection to all those who know Christ. But let's start here in uh, Romans 8, verse uh, 17. Listen to what Paul writes here. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be, what? Glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with what? The glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willing, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of what? The glory of the children of God. So all of creation at the resurrection is going to be set free. When Christ returns, all of creation is going to be set free. God is going to restore back to what it used to be. He's going to set it straight. He's going to make it right. And so everything will be redeemed. Now look at verse number 30 in Romans 8. Because look what he says here. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he what? He also glorified. 
See the salvation process at work here? It's all of God. He predestines, he calls, he justifies, he glorifies. It's all of him. And it's all for him. It's all for his glory that he does all of this. Jump over to Romans chapter number nine. Look with me what Paul says here about this. Romans 9, verses 20 through 23. But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to his molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for what? For glory. You see, God has prepared vessels of wrath for destruction, and he has prepared vessels of mercy for glory. And this is something, if you are a believer in Christ, the resurrection is something that you need to be looking forward to. Because why? You will be sharing in the glory of God. And that is something that we should look forward to. 1 John 3, verses 2 through 3 has this, and it's a wonderful truth about our future resurrection and what we are to be doing in preparation for that day. He says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, Jesus, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. And so as a believer in Christ, we can and should look forward to the future resurrection. But there's a little more to that than just being resurrected. And I think a teaching that has gone on in churches and in American Christianity is this idea that heaven and the future glory is sitting on a cloud in a nightgown strumming a harp or dancing around the streets of gold, kicking up gold dust like some prospector, or sitting around on grassy fields and chatting it up with Moses, eating angel food cake and sipping lemonade. That's not the resurrection, folks. Don't get me wrong. I totally understand the glory and the beauty of heaven and the new Jerusalem and the place that Jesus has gone to prepare for us. I know that what 1 Corinthians 2.9 teaches us, that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. Here's the message. Does it matter how we live our lives here on the earth before the resurrection? Does it matter that we are supposed to be living by faith? Does it matter that we are supposed to be denying our sinful passions and resisting temptation and walking in the Spirit? If we are going to enjoy the glory in heaven, if, it's, if that's what it is, if we're all going to just enjoy the, the glory in the heaven, then why are we even called to live a different type of life if it doesn't matter? 
If we're all just going to be up there in heaven and yay, woo-hoo, woo, resurrection, woo-hoo, does it matter how we live before the resurrection? To what end are we being resurrected for? What is the purpose of our resurrection? And this is where we come to this in verse number 11. This is the word that Paul uses in verse number 11. And I want you to have a joyful resurrection. I want you to be prepared for it. So let's really look at this verse here, what Paul has to say about this resurrection. So he says this in verse number 11, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now, if Paul believed the resurrection, Paul believed he was going to be resurrected. Paul believed that all those who have died in Christ are going to be resurrected to a future glory. He believed that all those who have died without Christ are going to be resurrected to face the judgment of God. He's not saying here or being confused that he doesn't know if he's going to be resurrected. He says, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So what is he talking about? Well, it's found here in this word resurrection. All throughout the New Testament, the word resurrection means to rise or to stand up, to be raised. That's the word Paul uses in verse number 10. And where else we find throughout the New Testament, it's that same word. But here in verse number 11, Paul uses a different word for the word resurrection. Our English Bibles have just translated it the same as resurrection. But the word Paul is using is a completely different word and it carries a completely different aspect of resurrection. So verse number 11, he's talking about a different kind of resurrection altogether. So the word that he uses actually has three parts to it. The last two parts is where we get the word resurrection, to stand or to rise up. But the third part of the word is actually added to the beginning of that. And it means out of, out of resurrection or out resurrection. I'm going to try to illustrate this to you here just for a sec. Verse number 11 literally means to stand up out of. This is an out resurrection. Paul is describing here two groups of believers that will be resurrected. There is the resurrection of Christians, and then there will be a separation of the dead in Christ from the remainder of the dead, whether there are the Old Testament saints or the unsaved dead. But then there's going to be this out resurrection. So you're going to have the believers in Christ who are resurrected, all the believers in Christ are going to be resurrected to a future glory. But then he says there's going to be an out-resurrection, a further separation of believers that know Christ. It is a standing up of a particular group out of those previously raised from the dead. Think of it, you will, when we have the Olympic Games not everybody gets a participation trophy, do they? There's only three that win. First, second, and third place. Well, in the resurrection, there's going to be people that are resurrected, 
but then there's going to be some that are going to be rewarded and they are going to be separated from other believers and they're going to have a higher place of honor and glory because of how they have lived their lives. At the time of the resurrection, Christians will be separated from non-Christians, but at the time of the out-resurrection, as we see in verse number 11, certain Christians will be separated from other Christians. So what Paul is talking about here is a group of believers that will be separated by how they lived their lives for Jesus Christ. These believers can be classified as those who are overcomers, they are those who will be winning a prize in a conflict. And these things are associated with the issues of the judgment seat and the coming kingdom. And this thought really goes in context of the following verses that we read uh, here in uh, verses uh, 12 through 14. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. What? This out-resurrection because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The word resurrection in verse number 11 has to do with certain Christians, the overcomers being elevated to a status above, a standing up out of the status occupied by the remaining Christians, the non overcomers. Now, I pray that you receive this and understand this because I want you to have a joyful resurrection. At the judgment seat of Christ, certain Christians will be shown to have overcome the world, the flesh, the devil. The remaining Christians will be shown to have been overcome Overcoming Christians will be then elevated to a standing above Christians who were overcome and in this manner will be set apart for a purpose. What purpose? The purpose is the fact that they is a distinct purpose of occupying positions with Christ in his kingdom. They will realize the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The overcomers will stand up out of the entire group that had previously stood up from among the dead. So here's the picture. Christians are all going to be resurrected. And at the judgment seat of Christ, there's going to be a further separation of those who live this brief moment of time in life for Jesus Christ, who took their walk with Christ serious. And they are going to be elevated to a status where they will serve in the kingdom with Christ. One of the main passages about the judgment seat of Christ is found in 1 Corinthians 9, 4 through 27. You can also find its teachings in Romans 14, 10 through 12 and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10. Now, at the judgment seat of Christ, we are not being judged for our sin because our sin was placed on Christ. He took our judgment. We are being judged for our stewardship of our salvation in this life. Please listen. Those who have ears to hear, listen. Listen. 
this brief moment of life and how you and I steward it will have a huge impact on how we will be resurrected and the effect of our part we will have or not have in the kingdom for all of eternity. There will be believers who are saved as by fire, receiving no reward. Their works, their inheritance is burned all away so that only their spirit may be saved. Jesus gave us the parable of the talents in Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And it tells of a master who was leaving his house to travel. And before leaving, he entrusted his property to his servants. And upon returning home after a long absence, the master asked his three servants for an account of what they've been entrusted to. The talents. Two of them went and made more and were rewarded generously with opportunities and positions. The third wasted his and hid it in the dirt and it was taken from him and given to another. All believers are saved by grace through faith and those of us who have been saved, we've received Christ. And now through his grace, what are we doing? We are pressing forward or we should be pressing forward into the kingdom of God. But the extent to which we gain the kingdom will determine our inheritance, our status, and our opportunities for fellowship with God and for service throughout the ages to come. In other words, how we are living now will determine how you will live in the coming kingdom for all of eternity. This is what the New Testament talks about concerning the kingdom so are you prepared for God's kingdom to literally, when it comes down, when new Jerusalem, as we read in Revelation, when the new Jerusalem comes down, that heavenly city, and it comes down and Jesus himself places his feet on the Mount of Olives to rule and to reign, are you prepared and are you ready for his coming kingdom? How have you been stewarding the salvation that has been given to you? Are you going to have an out resurrection like what Paul says here in verse number 11? You see the spiritual truths that Jesus taught us about the kingdom and the truths that are in the word of God are there for us to heed as a warning. Galatians 6, 7, and 9, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever he sows, whoever sows to pleases their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You see, we are going to reap what we sow, folks. Those who serve the Lord carelessly will be rewarded carelessly. Those who serve the Lord with their whole heart will be rewarded with the Lord's whole heart. Those who give little to the Lord will receive little from the Lord. Those who give all that they are to the Lord will receive all that the Lord is. If we spend our lives here pursuing after vanity and soap bubbles, what do you think we're going to have at the resurrection, folks? Nothing. I want you to have a joyful resurrection. 
And it matters how we steward our lives now so that we may have a good resurrection for all of eternity. You see, it's gonna be a high honor in the kingdom of God to participate in this resurrection that Paul is talking about. Those who attain to this resurrection will be given unimaginable authority and power just as the spirit of God has presented to us in the second and third chapters of the book of Revelation. This is all the stuff that Jesus spent his time talking about with the kingdom. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like this. Let's look at a passage about this real quickly. Turn over to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew 19, verse, uh, beginning in verse number 16. We have the story here of this rich, wrong, young uh, ruler that comes to Christ. And beginning in verse number 16, he says, And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these I've kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor. And you will have what? Treasure in heaven and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished saying, well, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And sometimes we'd like to stop right there, but it goes on. Then Peter said in reply to all this, see, we've left everything and followed you. What then are we gonna have? You see the picture here? Here comes this rich young ruler. He says, I've kept all the commandments. I've done this, I've done this. Jesus says, well, if you're really gonna be perfect, go and sell what you have, give to the poor and come and follow me. He wouldn't do it. Now here's his disciples seeing this transaction take place. And Peter says, Lord, we have left all. What are we gonna have? Just eternal life? Is there there more than just eternal life? Yes, because Jesus goes on. Look what he says. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you in the new world, when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive what? A hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. It will have a huge impact in how we steward our life here and now with the coming kingdom. So are you gonna have a good, joyful resurrection? Are you gonna be one of these that is gonna stand there with nothing? 
or are you going to be separated out and you're going to actually be able to experience and see the glories of Jesus Christ and experience the wonderful things that he has planned and prepared for those who are truly following him. There's a difference. And so it's absurd to think that we can live lives of mediocrity, apathy while pursuing vanity and worldliness and think that that will not have an effect of how we will live in the coming kingdom. To think that immature worldly Christians will be given places of honor and authority is to indulge in fantasy, folks. I believe God is doing some fantastic things in our midst even now. Through much tribulation, the Lord is drawing out a godly remnant in these last days in which are living. And so what are we supposed to be doing? There's a mark, there's a goal that has been placed before us by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have to run the race. There's an incorruptible crown to those who run patiently and endure. They will win the crown. That's why Paul says, I'm striving, I'm running, I'm enduring so that I can attain the out resurrection. Paul says, I want the prize. I don't just want to have eternal life. I want the prize. And he's going to pursue after that. I want to give you one more passage of scripture for consideration before we pray. And I hope you take these words to heart that what we might... uh, see here about concerning your future resurrection. Turn with me over to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25. Paul says, uh, start here, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, I do not box as one beating the air. There's purpose behind all of it. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be what? Disqualified. Now it doesn't stop there. That thought doesn't stop. It continues in chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They all experienced the blessings of God. They were all there. They were all part of it. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was what? Not pleased for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it were written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up and play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. 
when Jesus Christ came into this world and he died and he rose again from the grave, that was the beginning of the end of the age. Folks, we are in the last days. How you live here and now as a believer in Christ will have a huge impact on your resurrection. And I want you to be prepared for that. And so Paul says, I want to attain the resurrection from the dead. What a challenge. What a challenge to think biblically about what the resurrection will be. You see, God is not going to lower his standards because of our apathy. We will be held accountable to the word of God. And we have to pursue. We have to strive. We have to continue. So are you prepared or being prepared for a joyful resurrection? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.